This episode of InsureTech Insider is proudly brought to you by Deloitte. They are focused on uniting the bright ideas from InsureTech with large-scale traditional carriers and everything in between, bringing their wealth of industry experience and technology know-how into the mix and helping to drive the pace of change and transform insurance as we know it. Welcome to InsureTech Insider, coming to you live from the 11FS offices in WeWork Devonshire Square. This is episode 40. Our baby has hit the pig 4-0. I'm Sarah Kachansky from 11FS, and today's show is a chat about InsureTech UK, the self-proclaimed alliance of InsureTech startups and partners in the UK aiming to disrupt the insurance industry. All of our guests today are part of this alliance, and are here to tell us more. First up, we have Louise Biriteri, CEO and founder at Pickle. How are you today, Louise? I'm good, thanks. So could you start by giving us a quick overview of what Pickle does? We haven't had you on the show before. Okay, yeah. So Pickle um, is uh, one of the first providers in the market to uh, develop products for the sharing economy. Um, so we're focused in on people doing Airbnb. Um, and we have a number of different types of products um, to help both individuals um, and sharing economy platforms get the right insurance for their users. Brilliant. Thank you. Uh, we also have Bruce McIntyre, partner at IMAS Corporate Finance. Welcome to the show, Bruce. Hi. Um, so can you give us uh, a quick overview of what IMAS does? Yes, IMAS Corporate Finance are M&A uh, advisors in the financial services industry. Uh, we've been many years in the insurance space in particular. We've done over 100 or advised on over 100 transactions. Uh, I head up fintech. Uh, so as part of that, I look at insurtech as well. Uh, and we do both M and A advisory and capital raising. Brilliant! So you're the other side of the other side of the equation. Indeed. Um, next up, we have Shelley Lydon Mills, head of M and A and ventures at Hiscox. How are you today, Shelley? I'm great, thanks. Um, and we've had some of your colleagues from Hiscox on before, but yes. you haven't joined us previously. No. So could you give us a quick overview of your role? Yeah, sure. So I'm head of M and A and ventures. Um, about a third of my role is M and A, which leaves me lots of time for looking at strategy projects with the exec. Uh, which includes how we partner with and invest in InsureTech. Uh, as you said, there's a lot of people at Hiscox who look at InsureTech, uh, which means we get a really good overview of InsureTech across different business units and different functions. My role is a group role, so I work with all of those people and I make sure that when we do projects, they keep their momentum and they meet their objectives. Brilliant. And we welcome back James York, CEO at Worry and Peace. How are you today, James? I'm very good. Thank you for having me again. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know, can you give us a quick refresher on Worry and Peace? So yeah, Worry and Peace it was one of the first InsureTechs. Um, we have our own intermediary. Um, we work with a few other startups like Flock, Hakodo, and a new one to be announced. And we also have our own distribution marketplace, which it launched as an official partner of Bieber last month. Brilliant. And Nigel Walsh is back. How are you today, Nigel? Wet. <laughs> Okay, do you I'm want very to explain well, that? thank you very much. <laughs> yes, Sarah's just thrown a bucket of water over me. No, I'm kidding. I, I am very well. It's wet outside and it's supposed to be summer. It is. It is very sad. We're recording this just after the saddest, coldest, greyest bank holiday weekend I can remember. But let's put that to one side. And without further ado, let's get started. So um, who wants to give me some background on InsureTech UK? How did this come about? I can take that. All right. Yeah. So this is, I have to state this, by the way, this isn't me patting myself on the back in any way, but it was my idea. Uh, okay. So I am patting myself on the back. But but no, seriously, um, it, there was a few founders kind of texting and meeting quite a lot. And it struck me that we should all get in a room and chat about the viability of, of creating an alliance and, and just see what people's common problems were. And the meeting was amazingly productive. I think about 20 people turned up and there was a real groundswell of, of common interest. So we just crept it forward from there. Uh, the first meeting was in May last year. 
So May, so were you 12 months old then? So the first meeting was in May. Um, everything kind of kicked off formally uh, in November 2018 when 31 people signed up. Um, Perfect. Yeah. So um, how did everybody else on the table get involved? So Bruce, do you want to go first? How, how are you? What was your engagement? In so this? we were contacted by one of the members, uh, I think following uh, advising on an insurtech deal at the back end of 2018, uh, we were very kindly invited to consider whether we'd like to join. And Louise, how about you? Yeah, so we've been networking with um, some of the other InsureTechs and uh, one of the others, um, uh, you know, recommended that we we join. So uh, they introduced us and, and yeah. Sounded like a good idea. It did, yeah. <laughs> and Shelley, how about Hiscox? Where Very similar. So we work really closely with Risk and Niall Barton, who's the CEO of Risk, uh, as one of the founding members and he kind of tapped us on the shoulder and we kind of jumped at the opportunity. Risk the InsureTech, not Risk, risk the, the department at Hiscox. Yeah, risk with a W. <laughs> um, brilliant. So, you know, what? why is there a need for this? This. So InsureTech, in my you know humble opinion, has been doing pretty well. We've been getting some serious funding coming into the industry and it's, it's gaining traction in the media. Why do we need an alliance? I, I'd, I'd like to just from a financing perspective, um, yes, there has been money raised. But actually, when I put my fintech hat on, InsureTech is quite a long way behind the rest of fintech. And that's partly why we think there's a role for a community like this to help to educate to help to bring people together and to help to send the message out, not just here within the UK and Europe, but also further afield where a lot of the capital sits. So um, partly it's a way of helping InsureTechs um, find the best way to get capital, the best sources of capital, and I guess at the same time to raise awareness to investors that InsureTech is a thing. Yeah, I, I think the background here is that you've got to remember that insurance is really quite a specialised area. I mean, within financial services, insur- the investors that sit around financial services often won't look at insurance because they consider it to be quite specialised. So it's even more important for InsureTechs to, to get that message out, even more so than other parts of fintech, in our view. More so than fintechs, you think? Yes, because... The, you know, having spent some time with InsureTech investors, both mainly here in Europe, but also overseas in the US and, and also a little bit in Asia, the story is not well understood. And I think there's a there's an inherent responsibility for all of us to help to communicate that story, to help to move people up that sort of learning curve as to what InsureTech really is and what it means and why it's a great asset class to be thinking about investing in. But it's not stopped 26 billion going in so far. No, but if you compare that against the, the many billions um, in fintech more broadly, um, it's still, it's unquestionably behind. Okay. Um, and, the, and the numbers sure are relatively you, small. That's, that's okay. I think there's always room for more funding, is there oh, not? Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> and at different stages as well. We've seen loads of later stages go in in terms of versus seed, should I say. Um, but there's always room for more money, for sure. And we've seen some quite big deals recently as well. You just look at SoftBank going into Lemonade and uh, others going into uh, WeFox. They're big numbers now. It's not uh, one or two here or there. It's multiple hundreds. Sarah, the guys have hit the nail right on the head there. Um, There's there's an issue in terms of the size of the insurance economy versus, say, banking, which is predominantly the fintech arena, um, and insurtechs being kind of nested inside fintech. So having its own voice is really important. And the two raises that Nigel's mentioned are not from the UK. So fundamentally, that's... Those bind those two together, and you've, you've they're got not the from, they're not from the UK, and they're exceptional. And what I'd like to see is it's not exceptional. I'd like to see a lot more of these high profile deals, but not just the high profile deals, because in the end, market maturity is about yes having these 
you know, the sort of lemonades of the world, but it's also about the rest of the, the marketplace and making sure that they can access money um, on their terms. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, we've um, recently just uh, been going through a funding round ourselves, and um, we've we've come across that. We've spoken to, we did speak to a number of sort of fintech groups, but they definitely weren't set up for insuretech. It was too specialised. Um, so that's that's a, a problem we did find. Um, I'm I'm quite lucky as a startup that we're from the insurance industry, so um, I had quite a good network to use. But I can imagine if you're a, you know a, a, an insuretech startup that perhaps got a great tech idea but not an insurance background, that it would be very hard work um, trying to kind of you know get into the market yeah so I mean it sounds like so, so, you know we I understand that the, the motivation for starting it and it sounds like you know that, that there is a problem to be solved sort of 12 months on from that first meeting where are we at kind of in terms of InsureTech UK because it sounds like I understand your, your message um, you know where, where, where not where have we got to so far because you've only been going seven months um, but then you know what's the, the greater aim as well what are your goals aside from raising this message of uh, awareness can I jump in I just jumped I didn't realize I jumped in on Shelley do you want to no have no, a no no you're, you're involved in investing in insurtech, so I think you should have what we were just chatting no, about. I, you must have amazing so in relevance. Term, in terms of investment, um, it totally makes sense to me that fintech is ahead of the curve. I disagree with you, Nigel. And I think that's because banking touches people every single day. And so it's easier to understand and it's easier to think about. Insurance, unfortunately, and that's not the right thing, often only touches people once a year. Um, maybe twice if they've got a claim, but hopefully that never happens. And so people don't take the time to understand it and learn it in the same way. So it, it's easier for investors to think about fintech than short I think you forget that investors are real people as well to a certain extent. So if you if we do this all the time, don't we, Nigel? We go around and do a survey of like who has who has a banking app, who has a neobank, and it's like most of the office, you know, who who has insurance to start with? Okay, that's knocked half the office out. Who knows what insurtech is? And we're down to two or three people. And I think we forget that maybe the, the investors who are running these funds they probably don't know that much about their own insurance, whereas they probably do know about their bank. I'd like to draw a parallel, if I may, to financial services as an, as an asset class more broadly. When I joined IMAS 10 years ago, financial services was a little bit more of a specialised asset class for investors. And yes, there were um, investors in, uh, particularly on the capital raising side, who were invested in financial services, but it was not everybody. And a lot of people were just mentally, financial services, I don't do financial services. There's a very similar story here, roll the clock forwards 10 years with insurance. I don't do insurance is basically the message we have had from, from a range of very sophisticated investors who are perfectly intellectually capable of, um, you know, understanding it, but, it, it, for for one reason or another, the the message, the education has not been so widespread that they feel like this is part of them. This is something they should be getting, you know, getting up well, there's the, big the learning opportunity curve on. elsewhere first. That they go to. There's, people talk about gaffer. Why are gaffer and insurance all the time? It's like, well, they can make a ton of money somewhere else before they go after insurance and, and get to the regulated states or whatever else. Yeah, and and in, interestingly, I think as the market matures, I mean, right now, in a way, it's a it's quite an interesting barrier to entry because the rest of certainly if we talk about fintech is very very um, very very generalized in in the sense that a lot of people are investing there aren't and and it's very competitive actually in insurance it's still a little bit protected because there aren't as many people looking so right now there's probably an opportunity 
if we do our jobs over the next three, five years, question mark whether that opportunity will still be there. But I still think the broader message here is we need to educate and we need to get the message out to. Do, do you think there's a shortage of, of money in the market at the moment? No, ab- so, absolutely not. So I'm with you. I think there's loads of money for the right things. For the right things. In fact, the, the issue with most of the investors we talk to, and Shelley, I'm sure you will have your view. Um, it's not about lack of opportunity. In fact, there's way too many opportunities. It's lack of quality opportunities. Is it, and is it, and is it also yeah. sifting through those insurtechs? So just to move away from the actual the, the monetary perspective, we've got quite a busy insurtech ecosystem uh, in this in this country now, which is which is good in a way. It's, it's good to see you know companies coming through, but I imagine that makes it hard for companies to a for insurtechs to sort of get their name out there, but b I guess on the flip side, there's enough people around that maybe having an alliance you can share learnings. I don't Maybe that's one for you, Louise, that that other advantages of this alliance, um, maybe learning from each other. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think one of the things that's quite, you know, key to to my business, you know, in in the sharing economy is that um, we're actually, um, you know, seeing a lot of uh, changes or creating new products that are going to have ramifications to existing product lines um, and, um, you know, raise questions around regulation that exists. Um, And, you know, I can't change those things as one insurtech. Um, I need, you know, cooperation from most of the insurance companies, um, from, you know, comparison sites, um, from some of the technology providers, um, as, as well as, you know, other, other operators in the market. Um, and so um, I think that inevitably new and disruptive companies um, are going to, to hit across these sorts of industry-wide problems. Um, and, and, you know, it's good to be able to take that somewhere like uh, this alliance, um, where you can, you've got all of the sort of interested parties around the table, um, and, and therefore you can say to them okay well this is this is what we're doing it's new um how do we all think that as an industry um we can respond to this and from a a practical perspective just sort of in terms of what the what insurtech uk actually does do you are there meetups are there is that too practical (laughs) yeah no so we have um a council uh, we have three work streams um and having started in november with 31 members who signed up originally we've now got 50 plus there's more in the pipe we've just secured a global partner as well which is kind of super secret and to be announced um so that's really you'll cool. let us know they first won't um, you james but yeah we'll do. <laughs> um but in terms of actionable stuff we've been doing the first thing you have to do before you actually produce any execution is to muster the, the stakeholders so that's been the main job but we've been meeting now with um, government stakeholders so we've met with the department of international trade and come our, our, our summer reception which is the official kind of inauguration of, of us as an association with a legal entity um, there's going to be an announcement with dit um, we're working on something specific with them which is really cool um, and we kind of ideated that um, we've met with the fca that was a meet and greet to sort of again communicate what we're up to we've got a meeting with hmt and tech nation the tech nation meeting is really important because where they place in sheer tech right now is at the bottom of their fintech page is almost like a subcategory <laughs> no so, no we can't know, be having that <laughs> putting the flag in the sand now one of our main lobbying points for them will be you know treat us differently because as you've heard from bruce and nigel that there's a totally different need set here going. i think well, there probably is a growing awareness among people like hmt and fca as well i think it sounds like they're willing they are very much yeah. so yeah it's also about upskilling so for example I know there's a, a panel discussion coming up at, that's just for the members um, at the end of May and that's on negotiating with 29th insurers of 29th of May <laughs> on negotiating with reinsurers and insurers on, on getting capacity and winning that partnership and if you guys can and we, we're contributing to that as our Munich Re and if we can help people only have to have 
three meetings instead of 10 meetings because their skills are more polished, then that's a win for everybody. And that's a huge save on, on startups' time. And we say mm. time and time again, whatever industry you're in, if you're running a startup, your time is your most precious commodity. So if mm. somebody can help you get some of that back. That's one of the things, I was, I was, there's two things that just spring to mind. One is, so the Tech Nation stuff, and James and I spoke about this before, differentiating yourself to Tech Nation has always been a confusing point for me. I've never understood it because the Tech Nation guys, they might be on the bottom of the list, but I think it's probably alphabetical order, who knows? Um, but you've got the Channel Skin Syndicate, you've got Aviva, you've got LV and a whole host of other folks on there for InsureTech with specific InsureTech work streams. How can we clearly differentiate what they do versus what you're proposing to do? Well, um, one of our lead members, one of our biggest lead members, brought by many, is actually on that committee. So the first thing um, that, that we've obviously done is highlight that. So we're a participant, just like anyone else in the industry. They're a, I mean, they're a quasi-governmental organisation. They're not a trade association. So there is a fundamental difference. That would be like saying that they're conflicting with Bieber, but, but they're not because we have different modus operandi. So I'm really relaxed about that. And actually... Uh, well, say, again, say, this, say again, because I still don't get it. So Most of the senior participants in that see us as a, as a boon to it because because we're effectively mustering, whipping up a, a group message from InsureTech. So it's a hygiene factor for them as opposed to having individual startups sitting on it with all with differing personal needs. So, so Tech Nation is one group that InsureTech UK feeds into... Is that correct? Yeah. I, I see us as a participant to that. So, okay, so Tech Nation would... This is my, from my understanding as well. So Tech Nation has a, a fintech stream or fintech streams insure tech streams and you're yes. just one of the streams that comes into that. So it's an um, Tech Nation is just an umbrella then. They're an overall strategic body. Yeah. But they're different bodies, different entities. I, I will get it at some point. <laughs> I'm just being slow. The other question I had was around having insurers on the actual group, which I think is fascinating. So you mentioned um, a minute ago about uh, how you get past insurers and that sort of stuff. Do you see, and this might be an unfair question, but I think that's actually fair. But actually, are actually one of the ones out there in my mind that do a really, really great job of engaging with startups really early on. Do you then see the insurance incumbent market trying to block insure tech, specifically in sharing economy, where there's a massive threat to the opportunities they have today? Uh, no, no, I don't see them trying to block it. Um, I think that um, inevitably, um, you know, you've got you know very large insurance companies out there that are very busy with their own agendas. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of them are going through quite significant IT transformations and that sort of thing. And they don't have dedicated resource that are, are focusing on the problems that, that I'm focusing on and my team are focusing on. And um, we've actually had a great response from the insurance market. We've been out and talked to a lot of them about some of the challenges we're seeing in the sharing economy market. And on the most part, they agree. Uh, and it's just something that, you know, collectively, you can't get one insurer to change how things work. There's a standard that's got to be achieved across the market. And you can only do that by getting the relevant parties around the table and talking about it. And somebody's got to lead that. And, and as it, you know, as it's worked, we're, we're the ones that are sort of spearheading that uh, for kind of our part of the market at the moment. Um, and uh, I think a lot of the insurers are, are you know, really welcoming that. Um, so uh, I, think I think there's going to be... hottest markets though, full stop. I mean, you, you, you've got <laughs> probably one of the top two spaces in my mind. It's almost now, how do we educate customers to come across to the, hey, you no longer you own a car or rent a house. It's this is the way you go do it that came forward. Well, and I think it. that's yeah. where you can benefit from partnering with insurers because we do have brand names and we do have customers. And I'm speaking on behalf of Hiscox, obviously, but we are really keen and willing to work with lots of insurtechs. We provide capacity for quite a few insurtechs now. Um, and I, 
hopefully our conversations have always been really open and honest we give feedback to them it's not uh come and talk to us and pitch to us and then we'll say yes or no it's it's really collaborative i, I like to think um because we're trying to solve these problems together we so, know we can't yeah. do it by ourselves and do you have insure techs in this group forgive me if this is an ignorant question which are not customer facing so do you yes. have some yes. of those sort of back-end that that's one of the the main focuses i'm i'm chairing the comms group going forward and the internal comms element is really important to me communicating value to the members um and one of the things i'm you know absolutely laser focused on is that we look at the supply chain of insuretech because there is a, a joining of dots there isn't there you don't want someone who's helping with border rows or movement of funds to feel like they're just because they're not selling a product they're not part of that whole picture when actually it, it is the entire stack that needs rewiring and we've got the luxury of a blank sheet of paper here so our members technically could could build their own stack and and plug the capacity in with our amazing partners we've got and that's good consumer outcomes which is what we should all be kind of aiming towards and i think a lot of every insurer in the market at the minute is thinking about expense ratios and that comes from efficiencies and that is there's a lot of insure techs out there that can help with that yeah there's i mean a huge amount of efficiency that can be gained what appears to be quite simply but obviously i'm not involved in the process but the first <laughs> step is to get those people who can help you with that technology to the table and as we've just talked about earlier you, you actually sifting through those providers if you are looking to even engage one can be the biggest problem so i imagine from your perspective as well at hiscox if somebody's bringing you a group and sort of said you know here's a few that you can start with that's, yeah, that's a I brilliant mean, starting point yeah that that would be yeah that's brilliant <clears throat> i'm i mean we're looking at natural language processing for example and um, we even had a specific problem that we wanted to solve and already there's kind of 50 natural natural language <laughs> processing You're companies out there yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah it, it's it's a difficult market to navigate so, so what else do we think that um, InsureTech needs to, to reach its potential? So we've talked about funding. We've talked about there's still some some more to come from that. We've talked about perhaps, you know, education um, amongst InsureTech leaders and, and not necessarily in a bad way, but, in, you know, small business owners need to learn from each other. And a lot of people who start InsureTechs haven't necessarily done this before. Um, and general awareness. What about maybe customer awareness? Like whether that's businesses, small or large or, or consumers is that another another angle here yeah i think our focus will definitely be get our house in order get the strategy beginning to execute for the first phase and then begin to engage with customer facing media to, to get the message out and there'll be collective messaging where several founders with you know complementary messages are, are put in a story and we're really sharing what we're doing to improve both incumbent operations whether you're in the stack or whether you're on the retail side and you've got an insurance partner that's helping to power that that perhaps couldn't have done that instantly themselves so you're a really useful nursery for that you, you know new prototype of doing business can I, I ask a james, uh, james a question around whether regulation is part of that that broader picture because just one of one of the learnings we've had from the broader financial services industry is act, actually the regulator, whilst some see as a cost and a bit of a headache, actually, if you've got a participative um, thought leading regulator, that can really help the ecosystem, which that we can have really help the industry. We really we, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I'm so, super relaxed about the FCA. I, th I couldn't sing their praises highly enough for how they've engaged. They, they've obviously they've got their modus operandi, their main issues to solve. And I think they've done it really pragmatically in terms of how they've unlocked innovation. And certainly when we met them, that was exactly the vibe we received. There was lots of writing down, lots of listening. And they challenged us with some important questions, which we took back to council and has actually helped some of our best practice work streams. Fabulous. So I, that, that's not to say that everything's perfect. That's the FCA. I would argue that the PRA is the next big issue, which we need to engage because, you know, respectfully to people like Hiscox and other market incumbents, 
you want to be consolidating as an option, don't you? As, on the C-suite, you want to have the option to buy someone that's doing something differently. Where are the new insurance companies like Lemonade that that UK insurers could possibly buy like Aviva bought? On the way. Provident? On the way, maybe. <laughs> yeah. But you're going to help them get there. Done that yet. So, and I know I, I bang that drum, don't I, every time I come on. So, What, yeah. what about what we want from government in general. So in Shortech UK, how do, we, how do we measure success in six, 12, 18 months time? So bringing everyone together, amazing. G- genuinely, we need groups where uh, Instec UK brings together a marketing perspective. This is around policy. What's, our, what's the golden egg that says, if we get this, we are made and we have the same seat at the table that FinTech or financial services does from a, a government or policy perspective? What, what are we missing being on the comm side, I'm probably going to say this is all speculation because we need to formalise the goals that we're going to announce. Um, my thinking would be around, you know, a UK insurtech taking over an American insurtech. That would be a massive success factor for me because that would show that there's some liquidity to scale um, bridges to do with, you know, effectively the export of our technology. So mirroring those fintech bridges or, or aligning with them and inward investment. So how do we bring someone like a, a hippo over to the UK to set up? And is there an insurtech waiting to, to power them or collaborate with them? So that two-way street, um, that's why our conversations with DIT are very useful. I would personally like to see um, a lot more engagement across the industry here in the UK in particular, where arguably there is real market knowledge, real specialist skills and a depth in the insurance market. And I'd like to see that applied more broadly for the benefit of the insure tech community, um, both here in the UK and further afield. And as James quite rightly points out, absolutely, we'd love to see more flow of capital going from here to the US rather than rather than the other way. I was going to say to Louise, there were two questions there, which I, I wanted just to get your perspective on. One was with a regulatory perspective. I don't know, you know, how how far you are along that journey. Whether you have any anecdotes you can tell about the regulator, it's, it's fine if if not. Um, just as a startup, it, as a founder, it'd be nice to see that kind of other perspective as well. Yeah, well, I mean, I haven't had um, too much direct communication with the regulator, although it's something that I'd, I'd like to do because I think we're at the point where we've gathered quite a lot of information um, around uh, practices in the sharing economy market that that might be. Of interest to them um, but my, I mean my own personal process uh, you know a process of what's happened we're, we're regulated uh, we got our authorization you know quite quite quickly actually um, I think we managed to do it within about six weeks which is nice which is, which is pretty good yeah um, so uh, and and they did sort of you know point out that uh, we were they felt we were, we were filling a need in the market um, so um, I, I've got nothing but sort of good stuff to say <laughs> so far uh, uh, about them um, but I think you know re- you know regulation is is a really important issue here and particularly if you've got startups that are wanting to cross borders um, and go you know into obviously Europe now, which is you know nobody knows what's going to happen with Brexit and how that could change regulation. Um, you, you know, to mention the B word. Sorry, sorry, <laughs> sorry about that. Um, but you know, and, and and if you want to go into the states, obviously it gets really complicated yeah. how the how the regulation works there. So um, I think that there's a lot that insurtechs can learn um, from different parts of the globe um, and how you know they can probably help one another um, to look at different markets or work together in partnership in different markets to get to get their products across. So I think that would be an interesting to see see how that works over the next few years and that goes back to the the sort of fintech bridge idea if you like i mean particularly from a regulatory perspective it all ties in nicely together so if the pr and the fca start playing nicely with whatever the regulator one of the regulators in the states but let's like try one in europe first it's probably easier um you know then that that gives you kind of a, a route or a channel to at least have these conversations which it sounds like are so important because you don't you just need to be able to go and ask you don't necessarily want to go and say this is what i want you need to go and say yeah how do i do this it's, it's hard to navigate it is really hard to navigate i mean i've worked in the insurance industry 
three, four, more than 15 years. Um, but, um, and, and, you know, I still have found it really hard to kind of navigate, uh, you know, some, some of the things that, let alone sort of, you know, people who haven't come from the industry. Um, so being able to share that best practice and, you know, identify people who you can talk to about it, I think is, uh, uh, you know, will save a lot of, a lot of time. Yeah, it allows f- founders to focus on what they're good at and, th- and their idea and building out the product that they've decided if there's someone there to help them with the, the, the wider ecosystem and the wider regulation. I cut you off, Nigel. Did you want to? No, I'm going back to your point earlier around inward investment and all that sort of stuff. I was more thinking around the how can the InsurTech UK lobby government to do something different? Is it so money? We always want more money and we need to go to the various folks with deep pockets and uh, interesting checkbooks to help out there. And I think we, I think generally think we will get it. I'm more interested in the what is government not doing today that InsurTech UK as a body of 50 people, 50 entities can go back and say, we need this to help our to help our community and our industry thrive that you've afforded fintech that you've not affording us and probably because you're not understanding it there's there, sorry bruce there's two specific things that have sprung to mind in every session we've had uh, about engaging with particularly hmt um is there's two tax issues that insurtechs are facing the first one is um vat which you know you can imagine if you're up against investors who are seeding businesses angels with a few hundred thousand pounds if they know that operationally you're going to be spending 20 percent of your money on that and have no balancing reclaim obviously some people in the supply chain do if they're selling software so can you explain that because so, i don't understand um, the VAT rules for insurtechs <laughs> if you're selling insurance your end product is subject to ipt that means all your operational expenses have VAT added to them from the third parties and you have no recourse to offset it. So you effectively are spending 20% more for some operational expenses than companies who and in, can offset VAT. And, that, and that's not sh- true for many fintechs? If, or they're, if they're selling software, absolutely a vatable thing. So that balances it out. Okay. So, so a couple of things have popped out there. So one, IPT for our non-UK listeners is? Insurance premium tax. And it is, therefore? <laughs> it is an added tax to insurance products, but it's not offsettable with VAT. Right. And the software issue that you mentioned for vatable things is true in fintech and insurtech. Uh, yeah, it, it depends so if they're in... So provider for that, but those software and insurtech, I don't have to pay the VAT. Uh, if you're selling software, you absolutely can... Well, you can balance yeah. your VAT. You so if you're, so someone's going to pay it eventually. It it's only the end product that we're worried about. So if you're selling direct exactly. to consumer or, or whoever else. So if you're selling a policy, then you are in trouble. If you're selling um, software and analytics that enables you to better create underwriting models then you're in the it same is, it is definitely a drain so yeah. th- th- that's where models are adjusting I've, I've created a balancing thing where I've got a software I can sell that so that's mm-hmm. my experience on that so request one is please so Mr Taxman VAT is an issue yeah. there's also a, a secret VAT VAT has a, a B so that was the A VAT and there's a B to VAT um, someone like Google is a huge distribution channel for insurance and probably many people don't know it's VATable over 85k but Google won't tell you they won't ever nudge you or poke you so you could potentially Essentially, um, build up a, a sizable obligation to HMT, HMRC, that you should be self-nominating. So the whole that issue around distribution software is also an issue. Anyone that's digitally advertising and has their main tax base offshore, um, the VAT is going to become an issue for your own expenditure as well. And you've got to be really hot on that. So if Someone's I'm, been slipped up in an organization about that. So if I'm selling insurance through th- that can be found via Google and I sell more than £85,000 worth of premium? No, it's it's Google AdWords. So, so if you their, spend own, their own product is VATable, but they do not add it to 
their own billings. So they totally pretend VAT doesn't apply to them. So you have to self become self-aware about how the VAT applies. So we'd prefer it if there was a bit more helpfulness to do with that because as small businesses, we already have a tome's worth of regulatory principles-based systems to understand and be ahead of to then have not have anyone really you know properly engaging you when you're spending money with them. Without, without getting too deep into kind of tax law, because I think I'm already lost here, but I'm um, what about like... You did ask. These are technical yeah, things. Yeah, no, no, it's fine. And I and I, I appreciate the high level overview. Um, what about participation from the likes of Money Supermarket or uh, the other um, aggregators? Aggregators, my brain went completely dead there. Is that something you you want? Because I feel like that's something else that needs to be addressed. Because just because most people in this country still buy their insurance from from those online supermarkets, that they just do, um, unless until somebody produces a stat that tells me I'm wrong on that, I'm going to keep saying it. So, do you need to have participation from them? Or, or is that the next step? Or? There's, there's two, uh, yeah, yes and no. There's two answers to that question. I mean, firstly, they do have a huge market share for the commoditized personal lines angles, yep. um, but a lot of commercial insurance, which would be the areas certainly, you know, some insurtechs are hotly looking at, they don't. Mm-hmm. So that you could argue. Um, it depends if they're authorized and how they remunerate. Some, uh, Honcho, one of our members, is a, effectively an aggregator and their yes. model is very, very different, uh, which I you know, implore people to look at. So engaging with them is a bit of an issue. They tried to create their own association and I think it collapsed. What, the, because the association of aggregators? Yes. They tried to create something where they could talk as one. <laughs> and as, uh, you know, again, I'm, I'm, I'm not too deep on yep. knowledge on this, but I, I don't think it works. So Fine. already we've kind of proven that as a broad church with people that are all after the same kind of things in some ways. Please tell me it was called Cubed. <laughs> no. But don't we have to remember that for the UK consumer, a lot of, or a major part of the marketplace will access insurance product through the aggregators. I'm, I'm sure, we, yeah, sorry, Shelley was going to yeah. jump in. Yeah, we'll come back to... Well, I think that that's right, yes. Yeah. So the majority of the market, as far as I know, for, for, for personal lines, for motor and household, does go through price comparison sites. I mean, we've actually um, had a very good experience with with price comparison sites, so um, we're in, engaged with most, most of them. And, uh, you know, they, they do seem, uh, open to, to working, um, with, with, with startups that are filling, filling gaps. And I know that they've certainly had a lot of pressure from, um, the regulator on all sorts of different fronts. Um, so, you know, you've had, um, the IDD, uh, that came in at the end of last year, and that's been really focusing in on making sure that, you know, the right demands and needs for customers are considered. Um, and it's, it's also, uh, we've been looking at things like, you know, sort of dual pricing, uh, that's in the market. And, you know, I think that there are, you know, comparison sites are really interested in uh, both of those issues and I think there are things that the startups can do to help that so um, I'd hope that we'd be able to bring um, kind of one of those companies into the fold and uh, you know there's, I think there's there's you know a way to collaborate there definitely. So you're not, you're not saying no you can't play it's just a case of at the right time and, and with the right mindset I guess. I, I think there's great opportunities for collaboration there yeah. so I don't think we should see them as as, as uh, the enemies you know, as the enemies <laughs> no, the I, right? they're the original disruptors I think in this market well, maybe not the original ones but they're <laughs> certainly over yeah. the last you know 20 years they've been massive disruption to the market um, and I think that that can work both both positively and negatively um, so I think it's just about how how you you think about working with them um, that's that's important so is that does that cover your point Bruce I think that's quite comprehensive yeah because so. I think what you've also got to remember that consumer Consumers don't, they want to have a friction-free journey to buying all financial services products, including insurance. And that's one of the roles that the aggregators do play. Yes, 
there are there's a you know there are terms that they want and interestingly we're working with a client in the fintech space who has just gone exclusive with one of the um, aggregators but in time they will develop their business model and uh, I suspect the role of the aggregator will move on but for now it's an important route to market. So just, um, we're, we're sort of running out of time here, but I want to make sure that, um, so usually at this point, I go around and ask everybody what the insurance industry will look like in five years time or two years time. We can do that. Or does everybody have a burning point they've been desperate to make and I haven't let you or hasn't come up? Which would you prefer? Which option? Who's got a burning point? Raise your hands. All right, then. Predictions it is, kids. James, I hope you come up with something new. <laughs> who, who wants to go first? And Nigel, yeah, you're going to have to come up with something, something new. I no problems. Do you want me to go now? <laughs> yeah, you go first. Yeah, I've got time first. to think. So, so, so I talk a lot around. Um, we want, or we have all the ingredients, but we just want cake. And what I mean by that is all these individual pieces. You talked about the aggregator, the speed at which you can buy cover, whether it's travel insurance in three minutes or life insurance and stuff in in less time. It drives me. A is brilliant, but also drives me mad. I think we've got to a point where consumers possibly don't care. And actually, just give me coverage for the things that I, you know, just think I need or might not think I need. So we have lots of individual ingredients. And I think we've done a really good job of narrowing them all down to the individual part. But now we've got loads of apps doing loads of different things and loads of policies. Just give me the cake. And if you can, stick some icing on top. And the icing on top might be actually value-added services that likes of uh, Hiscox and others are actually providing to say, actually, we've got you covered, but you don't, you don't come to us for coverage. You come to us for the preventative maintenance or the preventative service that gets you there in the first place. So I truly believe we're going to shift further and further into the services space rather than the insurance product space. I'm going to ban you saying value-added services next week. Oh, It's everyone's favourite topic. It's our favourite topic. Uh, who, who wants to go next? See? see? Shelley can go next. Bring more icing. So, I mean, I think the the place that insurance will be in five years is not that dissimilar to now, but hopefully we're just putting the customer first a lot more. Um, I think everybody, Hiscox, Munich Re, everybody is starting to partner a lot more. So we're looking at partners for natural language processing. We're looking at partners for flexible insurance. We're looking at partners for an electronic marketplace in the reinsurance. We talked a lot about retail today, but there's, we're doing a lot in London market and reinsurance as well. Um, I think it's all about work, learning to work together. Um, and I think, I, I hope in five years time, there'll still be a lot of insure techs out there because they keep us honest. They're holding us to account. They're making us innovate. Um, so I think that's where it will be. I think insure tech UK can really contribute to that. I was, I think they'll kind of level the playing field a little bit more and they'll, and they'll help those insure techs, um, get a step on the ladder. Um, it's kind of, they're kind of like a, a hockey pitch, right? So at the minute, everyone's playing on a grass pitch and we want to play on an astro turf because you can see the ball. Um, you can hone your skills and you, it's just that the ball moves at a faster pace. And I think that's what InsureTech UK does for the InsureTechs. It gives you an AstroTurf rather than a grass pitch. I've or never I... heard that analogy before and I really like it. Is it not a bigger ball with a bright flashing light that InsureTech UK gives you? Well, it'd be easier for the goalkeeper, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Not if you're a Liverpool fan last night. Let's leave it out. Nigel, Sorry. who's next? Yeah, I'll, I'll go next. So um, I, I kind of just... Uh, I think the the question could almost be because um, you know what might the the market for insurance look like first, and how might we need to respond to that? Um, so yeah, I think there's a lot of obviously insurtechs out there that are doing stuff with apps and tech technology where you could think to yourself, well, does the customer really want it, or is it just actually a, just an you know an overuse of technology because you can? Um, but uh, I actually think, well, what's how's the marketplace is going to change, and how might we need to 
build products to respond to that. So if I look at my particular market, um, you know, it's grown massively Airbnb over the last few years. Um, you know, and I think how people are starting to use their assets, whether it's their home or whether it's a vehicle are rapidly changing. And over the next five years, we could be in a position where, you know, we might be all driving electric vehicles that could be quite close. Um, it, we could have autonomous vehicles quite close as well. Um, and that could mean that we have a need for different products, a different type of liability for, for motor insurance and a different maybe uh, use of vehicle if, if, you know, people are renting out their vehicles quite a lot of the time. Um, so actually, um, insurance could change, have to change quite a lot. Um, and uh, I think that's for me is about having the products to meet the market changes. I mean, that's, that's um, very similar to how you put about putting the, cu- putting the customer first. If the customer is different, they have different needs, then you've got to meet those needs. Yeah, exactly. I think we need to be really careful as well about thinking we're all the average customer. We get really excited when we see all these new ke- new cool techs and we like these apps and we I are so not. <laughs> we, we are, we are different. Um, we are different to the average customer and, we, and we've got excited a few times about certain products and started to think about doing proof of concepts and all the feedback comes back and says, similar to what Nigel said, we don't care, just, just give us stuff. Um, um, so it's really important at every stage of design, whatever it is, whatever part of the chain, to keep asking the customers. Bruce, what was your prediction? So I'd like to, not surprisingly, I'd like to see a more vibrant ecosystem that's better educated, better invested, more connected, and uh, led by a strong, you know, to, to build on our market leadership, um, led by a strong community that is not only recognized here, um, but more broadly in the world. I think it it's it's relatively easy for us to work towards that but it does require uh, more coordination less silos and an education brilliant james have you got a new one this time loved all those predictions yeah i do actually um two things one is analog um if insuretech uk does what it should be doing there will be one sector with the customer because at the moment you've got a multifaceted sector you've got lloyds you've got bb you've got the abi everyone's speaking with a different voice to the regulators, that's great, but we need one voice for the consumer, and we've just talked about the issues for that. So I think what that's was the time frame for that. What's that? What's the time frame for that? Well, this... Watch, this, watch this space, Nigel. Um, right. So there's a lot of appetite from the government, especially for us to, to coordinate something. And you know, um, without using the, the Brexit word, look at what the EU has been really good at: blue signs everywhere. It takes money from member states, it does something with it, and it pops a blue sign. And when you walk through Birmingham Station, you see it, and you think, "Great, isn't the EU lovely?" Where are all the insurance signs for the burnt down houses that have been fixed, the floods in Cockermouth that have been corrected? We literally do all this amazing stuff and it just disappears. It's in no one's memory. People don't don't know what insurance does for them. Exactly. So I think signposting physically and maybe in the digital world with AR, Nigel would love that, would be be my prediction. I think we need to do that. My second prediction... The best brand in the market, in my opinion, I should say that. Uh, (laughs) Just ask the liver anyone else there. It is an amazing thing these guys do. And, and good. And my second prediction is that the UK will produce an apex player for the insurance industry, uh, insure tech industry globally. I think the UK will lead insure tech globally. I think we'll, it will be one of our marquee sectors, like fintech is at the moment. I absolutely see that happening in the next five years. We'll see. I was going to say Theresa May. We'll see the Prime Minister picking it up. Well, <laughs> the Chancellor of the Exchequer. Yeah, uh, yeah, the Chancellor of the Exchequer and, and then the Prime Minister speaking about you know that being the sector they want to encourage investment in. Well, I like that because it means we all get to keep our jobs. So that's fabulous. <laughs> um, that wraps up this roundtable. So thank you very much to everybody. Uh, where can people find out more about you? This is an opportunity to give us a Twitter handle, a website, uh, anything you don't mind people getting in touch with you on. Please don't give us your phone number or home address. 
James, do you want to go first? I was just going to read out Nigel's number then and pretend it's mine. <laughs> um, I'm on at James JW York on Twitter and LinkedIn. Perfect. Bruce? Uh, imus.uk.com. Brilliant. Louise? Yeah, www.pickle.com. Do you want to tell us how you spell pickle? P-I-K-L. Perfect. Com. Yeah. <laughs> just wanted to, sometimes with spellings. Um, Shelley, how about you? Very boring. LinkedIn for me and it's Shelley Lydon Mills. And if anybody has a company that's on that list you read out, can they contact you on LinkedIn? I would love people to contact me anytime. I am always free for a coffee. Perfect. At Nigel Walsh on Twitter. And what I should ask you is, how would you get in touch with InsureTech UK? Does that have, do you, does InsureTech UK have a Twitter handle? Or? We do, InsureTech underscore uk and then there's insuretechuk.org website and we're on linkedin very active and obviously you can't throw a stick in the air without hitting a member these days so um, <laughs> yeah so if anybody listening likes what they've heard and wants to get involved that's where you should head um and as always you can find me on twitter at sarah kachansky so next up we bring you an interview with pravina ladfer chief technology and operations officer at swiss re life capital we met in her offices in the gherkin let's hear from her now Welcome to InsureTech Insider. I'm here with Praveena Ladva, who is the Chief Technology and Operations Officer at Swiss Re. How are you today? Great, thank you. And thank you very much for your time today. Um, so could you start off by giving us a quick overview of, of what you actually do? So that's a fantastic sounding title, but what does it, what does it mean? What's your, your role here? No, absolutely happy to. So I've been at uh, Life Capital in Swiss Re now for two years. My role really is to understand how I can help the, our various businesses that we incubate in the sort of startup fashion to grow and scale, but to really help our end partners and our customer base to uh, close the protection gap that we have in society at large today. And by that, you mean an awful lot of people are underinsured? Absolutely. And that's for a variety of reasons. You know, some people feel insurance is complicated to buy. Some people it's affordability. Some think it's knowledge. And I guess my role is through the use of technology, through the use of innovative technology, but also simplifying processes, operations, customer experience. How do we make it accessible for all? And so what sort of, um, you just mentioned there some businesses that you, that you incubate, what sort of businesses are we talking about there? So the businesses within the life capital umbrella are what we call our B2B2C businesses. So what we do is we partner with uh, distribution companies and organisations who we then have access to consumer bases who then they service through insurance products. So within that umbrella, we are, have a variety of uh, business units, one being group life and health and the other one being individual life and health. Our brands that you'll see, actually you probably won't see our brands because our brands are very much on the B2B side, mm -hmm. are Ellipse Life, uh, and the other one is IptiQ, which is quite a unique name, so yes. if people ever heard of it, they would remember it. Uh, but really where the, the key thing to for our success and the success of our customers, clients, is the model, which is a B2B2C. And I think the uniqueness of uh, the businesses we have, which is highly unusual in the insurance industry, is we have no legacy when it comes to tech. So we're really able to scale and grow fast, but also to have technology that is really modular and flexible. So you can you can bring in other elements, other modules, maybe other company, third party companies to, to build on that if it absolutely. serves your customers better. Yeah, no, absolutely. So what we're constantly doing is looking for what are our core capabilities, but also what is it there in the marketplace globally that would really make a difference? So we're very much, we walk in the end user's shoes and we say, what is it? What are the pinch points? What are the challenges? And then identifying technology solutions to solve for those. Uh, 
rather than go and find the nice new shiny thing and just implement it and then work out what it's for, is really taking the reverse approach. Because we believe technology is a key enabler for our business, which we is a key advantage right now. But as time goes by, and we all know how fast the technology environment is moving, we think it will just become a commodity at some point. Um, so now we think it's a real enabler, so we need to harness that. But do it in a way that is affordable and efficient and you know, ultimately build solutions that what I call a snap-on and snap-off, um, which just brings speed to market. So speed of product to market, you yes. mean? Yes, yeah. So um, can you give us an example of maybe some, some technologies that have proved a real enabler for, for Swiss Re? Is there anything in particular that you've implemented that's had a huge difference? Um, no, absolutely. So I think, um, you know, going back to the, the whole, the basics of the product, what is it? It's an insurance policy. And, and consumers today, you know, people are, are time poor. They know they need it. It's always at the bottom of the to-do list. Um, but it's something that has to get done. So we've said, okay, how can we make it easier for people? How can we make the terminology easy? You know, what does term assured actually even mean? So we've observed behaviors on websites of how people interact with these kind of online websites. Taking that insight and that data, we've been able to provide digital assistance uh, on some of our websites, which actually guides the consumer through a journey, which understands where do they get stuck? What are the questions they're asking? When do they come off and never go back to complete that purchase? So really it's taking some of that experience from retailers uh, and other industries and applying it to our own industry. So we've done that today and it's had a significant impact on consumers coming to our, our customers' websites and completing the journey end to end. And it's and actually what it's done is enable them to do it faster, do it at a time that's convenient for them, but also in a language that is understandable and reduces the jargon. And that, that's hugely important, I think, when uh, yeah. we talk quite a lot about digital onboarding or digital purchase journeys, yes. particularly something as complex as insurance. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I, I've worked in this industry for a while now and I still see forms I don't understand. Yeah. So um, how do you ensure that when you're, you're bringing something like that uh, into a market, into a consumer-facing market, that it, that it is appropriate? I guess, how, how do you test that? Because presumably, you, you, you know, you deciding a Swiss route to roll it out, but you have to make sure yeah. it's appropriate before you, you pass no, it out to your, your Absolutely. Your I mean, I have a saying of it doesn't matter what you've built, unless you've got real humans using it, you're never going to know <laughs> whether it's worked. And I also think, you know, you can think in your own mind, you've built and designed the best thing in the world, and you can put it into a consumer's hand, and I guarantee you they'll do something different with it. <laughs> so how we overcome that challenge is, is a customer first strategy. So what we do is we sit with user groups, uh, and these are global user groups, and we will test whatever it is we're gonna to take to market with them through focus groups, through usability studies, uh, through a variety of formats. We'll collate that, and then we will iterate on that. So what we'll do is we will take out a base product, we will see how it works, and then we'll keep changing it. So first of all, from a user's insight perspective, and then when it's live, from the data, once it's live. So that's very much the approach a lot of startups take, the sort yeah. of minimum viable product and then iteration. Exactly. And yeah. presumably you're unable to do that because of this, this lack of legacy exactly. tech stack. Exactly, yeah. And I think it's about the reason why we're able to do it is we have, we have the, we're, we're, at the end of the day, we are an insurance company, so we have the knowledge of how the product works. So, if we, that, you know, we have, so that's one of the key things. We have great B2B relationships. Um, and then if you couple that with enabling technology and a customer first strategy, if you put those core ingredients together and wrap it up in iterative working, 
And I would say the word agile, but I, I believe that's heavily overused today. Absolutely. And people will think something is agile, which is probably taken out of context. So what I'd rather say is using data to make changes, moving fast, iterations, and having the customer at the heart of everything that you do is what gives us the, helps us uh, do what we do today. And having, I suppose, not being afraid to uh, maybe fail a little bit or, mm. or having permission, I suppose, for your teams to go, actually, that didn't work. We yeah. need to, to tweak it. I mean, it, it, that's that to me is quite a cultural thing. Yeah. Would you say that the, the, the culture of, of your unit is um, has ch- changed of late, do you think, in, in line with this new way, new ways of using technology and new ways of doing things? Because in my mind, new, technology is only half the battle. It's the people who are implementing it have to change the ways of working yeah, as well. Yeah, and, and often in, in across any organisation, if you look in the industry and outside the industry, the cultural thing is the hardest thing to change mm-hmm. because you can build tech, you can change a process, it's done. But the the people around it and that and the mindset is often the hardest to change. And the way we've gone about that is just do something. So a culture is create, created by behaviours, in my opinion. So if you have the right behaviours and you start working in the right way and you reward the behaviours and you have the right process around it, that automatically will change the culture. It will take time, but that's what tends to happen. So what we tend to do is we try something. We say it's okay to be 80-20. Let's see if it works. Yeah. And be open that so it's not going to work all of the time. Um, and acknowledge the things that we call our successes, but also say it's okay to make mistakes. But what do we learn from them? But the beauty of because of how things work fast now is often people in the past were scared to make mistakes because it could be years you could find out before you made a mistake. Absolutely. Whereas now, you could probably find out within 10 minutes. And, and I suppose for a business point of view as well, it's um, you could find out in 10 minutes and the money lost on that particular project is negligible compared yes. to a two-year project yeah, that yeah, fails exactly. at the end of it. Exactly. Um, so in terms of, um, you know, what, what you it sounds like you've, you've gone a long way to implementing new types of technology and new processes. What are you, what are you excited about? What other kinds of uh, technology do you think really has the um, potential to, to, to change the way insurance is done, you know, in, in your areas or more generally? So I, I wonder actually if it's technology per se, um, because I think going back to something I said earlier, Anybody can take a piece of tech and implement it, whether it's a chatbot, whether it's AI, whether it's a new website, whether it's blockchain, it will be whatever it be. But for me, the most exciting thing is the combination of the right technology with the right service and customer focus and with the right organizational culture. Because I think it's the combination of those things that will bring the success to the industry. Because I think one on their own will will just might work. Because you can have the best technology, but if you're not using it in the right way, it's not going to work. It's not going to benefit anyone. You could have the best culture in the world, but if you're not building anything or delivering anything, again, it's going to have no impact. Yeah. So for me, it's the intersection of those things that really bring the value to the industry. So what do you think is next for Swiss Re then? It sounds like you've already got you know, a handle on some of those things already. What, what, what's next for, for your unit or rather yeah. than the company as a whole? Yeah, I would say for my unit, I think it's, it sounds a bit glib, but I think it's more of the same. Okay. Um, because you know, say it's a long journey, and it, within you never, because of things how fast they're moving, you never come to the end of it. So I think it's constantly learning, constantly learning from others inside and outside the industry, being curious about what's out there, but also um, listening to data and feedback the whole time. So I think we want to do more, we want to scale, we want to grow. Um, so I really do think it's more of the same. 
And uh, final question, which some people love and some people hate, but where, what, what changes do you think we're going to see in the insurance industry or the reinsurance industry more broadly in the next five years? I think, um, I think a lot of people are, seem to be on and off worried about two things. AI, what's it going to do? What is it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I think because people often say, what is it? I think that's probably not going to be as disruptive. We will think, I think that will be more of a evolution versus a revolution. I think the other people thing that people worry about is competition coming from areas that you've never seen it from before. Um, you know, people talk about some of the, the bigger, I guess, what would have once we call the big tech companies coming in. But I think the really interesting thing will be a partnership between a current incumbent and some new innovative tech. I think that partnership together, bringing that insurance knowledge, know-how, the underwriting expertise with the speed of a tech company, I think that's probably what we're going to start seeing more of. And I think that, um, uh, you know, we've, we've all wished for that to happen for a while, but it's, it's somebody doing it right in a partnership of equals, which is the difficult part yeah, yeah. we've yet to see overcome. Yeah, so I think there the trick becomes the execution challenge, which I think when you said to me, so what, um, what tech am I excited about? It's just not the tech itself. I think it's having that tech, but having that execution focus about landing it, delivering it, that will be key. And, and making a, a beneficial endpoint for customers. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for your time today. That's all right. Thank you very much. If people wanted to find out more about yourself or about you know the, the work you've described today, where should yeah. they go? Would you like to give us a website or, or a LinkedIn perhaps? Yes, yeah, so I, I'm on LinkedIn. So Praveen and Adverse, just if you just search, that's on LinkedIn. Um, and we also, if you come to the SwissRe.com website, um, and there you'll be able to find out SwissRe as a whole but also about our life capital businesses, our corporate solution businesses, and our insurance businesses. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you very much. That wraps up another InsureTech Insider. Thank you so much to all my guests, James, Shelley, Bruce, Louise, and Pravina at Swiss Re. Thank you again for joining me, Nigel. As always, you can find the show on Twitter at InsureTech Insiders. And if you like what you've heard, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and please, please leave us a review on iTunes. If you have any suggestions or feedback, please reach out on Twitter or email podcasts at 11fs.com. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>